What's happening, my dysfunctional family members out there listening? Welcome to the newest episode of View from the Hill. It's the Mother's Day episode, and I am joined by my amazing and talented mother. I may be biased, but I can't stop bragging about this woman. Living in Athens for over three decades, she's done so much that even I forget, and I'm her own son. She's taught at Hawking College, she's taught at Ohio University, she was a managing editor of Riverwind, a poetry magazine. Our family also lived across the pond for a little while while she was teaching in England. I am truly proud to be able to call her my mom. So pick up the phone, call your mothers, tell her you love her. It's View from the Hill. What's happening? We are live. View from the Hill. You can listen to it. Tune in live or listen to the replays at www.viewfromthehill.com. We're a few days early. It's going to be on Sunday, but this is the Mother's Day special, and I am here with my mom. Hi, Mom. Hey, Hill. Hello. We just came out of the gate there listening to a pretty, uh, I'll say, you know, pretty wild track. Uh, it's called, the, the tune was called Chinese Restaurant Revisited. And uh, that was from an album from a band you were in and helped with kind of in the early 80s, right? The LG Krebs Quartet? That is correct. Early 80s. That's a pretty wild one. Is it the Chinese, re- you're singing with somebody else on there. Who, Who is that singing with you? I'm singing with my sister, Deb. Oh, right. That, yep, Debbie that, Anderson. That's Deb. People listening may know. <laughs> that's right. So how did that band, who's all in that? How'd that band come together? Okay. That band really was a, just the college band. We lived in Bowling Green and we were 
uber good friends with uh, Steve Ward, uh, painter, Renaissance man, Greg Anderson, Deb, Mark, myself. Um, sometimes guests would come on. I think Bruce might have played with us, Bruce Cole. Bruce Cole. Once in a while, yeah. Yeah. And and I, then I have very strange memories because I think I was in the corner somewhere as like a two-year-old maybe while you guys were. <laughs> so this band, we formed in BG. That was before you. We moved here in 81. You were born in 83. And so some of the guys that played sort of peripherally with us and who really knew Steve better than Mark and I moved and got real jobs. So we were still <laughs> farting around in graduate school. And one of the guys, and I can't even remember his name. I think his name was Mark. And you might have his name on a list somewhere over there. I only knew him as Chicken Man. And he had the real, real job in um, Illinois at a university. And so you were like two or three when we went and recorded that album. And we went to Chicken Man's house and stayed the weekend. And it was crazy because there was like no furniture. I don't know if you remember this. Those are the weird memories I have. <laughs> I have a weird memory of like sleeping on a, in like a sleeping bag in the middle of a floor and like weird fluorescent lights. For a night light, maybe like a black light, because you know you guys were partying in a black light or whatever. <laughs> he was a psychology professor. Well, he's a wild guy. He was probably. a wild guy. Yeah, Chicken Man. So he, well, Chicken Man. Anyone named Chicken Man. That's right. It's got to be a white. You, you got to wonder, but there's probably fluorescent colored lights in his house. He so. was so nice. But you walked in his house, and the first room was white. And then as you walked through the house until you got up onto the second or third floor, his room, it progressively moved from white to black, the entire house. Wild. And he had almost no furniture, but he had a stand-up, like six-foot-tall plastic Santa Claus. <laughs> Do you remember that? I don't remember that and at all. And it could have only been him. He would like sneak off while we were recording at a studio in his basement. And he would put the Santa in, in a different location. So one time I went in to go to the bathroom, I flip on the light, and there's Santa. And it just completely freaked me out. So anyway, that was Chicken Man. I didn't know him very well because I just knew him really from recording. Okay, yeah. I had always heard his name, and so I didn't know if he was part of, like, you know, the core, the core group of friends. You know, I think he was the mixer. You know, he was the guy right. who had all the equipment. Right. And he was really into music. He was older than us. You know, I... Who I'd, was he um, real close friends with? Was he real close Bosco. friends with, with Bosco? Mm -hmm. I think, I'm pretty sure. Bosco and Louie. Yeah, <clears throat> Louie, Simon, and uh, Mike Brosco. Those are the only guys I have the real names because you said on my list over here with names. The funny thing is is that you guys all went by like, like pseudonyms, stage names. And so those are the names that I have on my list here. It's it's... We got Algie Krebs. Who was that? That was Mark. That that was that was Dad. Mm -hmm. And so he was. And this is the Algie Krebs Quartet. So he was Algie Krebs. He himself. was Algie. Mm -hmm. And then we had Bucky DeSalle. Do you remember who that was? I only remember that Greg was Noodles Clooney. Noodles I don't. Clooney. I don't remember who Steve was. I think. I feel like Steve. If I were to guess, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think Steve was Limp Mancini. Okay. <laughs> We'll have to find out. Steve, I love you, and I, I hope that wasn't an insult. You, you just, I, you're, you're Limp Mancini to me. I think. <laughs> <laughs>
And so you were who? Because we got Clara Hart Clara. and Rhoda Bourne. I was Clara. And so Deb was Rhoda. Rhoda. And all of these names came from a, a cheesy novel called Paola Woman. <laughs> and we just took the names from that book. I heard it was like a cheesy, like like a like a detect like a detective novel, like a noir, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so that music was all made. You said that the the, the band was formed in Bowling Green mm-hmm. um, when you were in undergrad mm-hmm. in Bowling Green, mm-hmm. and so you graduated from there and came to Athens. You said when. 1981. 1981, two years before the birth of moi. It's <laughs> awesome. What did you come to Ohio University for graduate school for? What were you What were you doing? Uh, Mark was in art, and I was in English. I had gotten a creative writing degree from Bowling Green, and uh, really it came down to where are we both going to get accepted, because that's where we're going to go, mm. rather than one getting accepted and the other, you know what I mean? So we both ended up here, and I didn't, I wasn't able to do creative writing. So I settled for second best, but I, I had a really great experience. I'll say that. You weren't into getting, and I'm sorry, I was looking at the at my notes over here where you're saying, so you weren't able to get into creative because writing. Because they didn't have one. So, so you went into? I went into um, American and English literature. American and English. And then they had a creative emphasis. So... I still had to do a creative dissertation, so I had to do a book dissertation, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And 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 so you're going to, to to school here. And was I born while you were still going to school? Yes, you were. Yeah, yeah. Because I I was a dropout. I was a graduate school <laughs> dropout for a while, and then I went back. So I think during my dropout period is you know how that goes. That's probably when I got pregnant. <laughs> And then I, you know, I, I went back to school as the, I was the pregnant one in the graduate program. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. bring us back to nostalgia. Let's, let's think back to this, you know, like let's, what were some places you were working as the odd jobs? Cause now we got, we got basically bars you can work at bars and food places. We both worked at a bar. <laughs> I think, I think some names have changed and stayed the same. Where, where'd you find yourself working back in the, those early eighties days? We were, Mark and I both worked at Bojangles and Steve Ward, by the way, moved here too, part of the Algae Krebs mm-hmm. group. So he, he also was a bartender <laughs> at uh, Bojangles. And so where's Bojangles located? Bojangles was where the other place is right now. It's a the clothing, other place, yeah. Right, okay. I think it's either where the other place is or that store that sells all the knickknacky stuff right by the other place. I think I know what you're talking about. But I think it was the other place. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I always remember stories of uh, Dexter's. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I worked at Dexter's, and there's no Dexter's now, is there? No, there's no Dexter's. Where was it located? Is it located? Was Dexter's located where um, the pigskin is now? Yeah. I think, gosh, there was a Wilson's camera shop in there. Right. And is that where... That's, that's like the area. Yeah, I think that's where the pigskin is. I think pigskin expanded to where Wilson's Okay, they would have expanded. Because be. pigskin was here, I think, when we moved here, if I'm not mistaken. it's It's been here. No, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting cloudy. Very cloudy. You're getting Very cloudy. cloudy. Way cloudy. Way cloudy. <laughs> <laughs> but I did work at Dexter's sub shop. With a master's degree. Boy, was that demoralizing. Master's degree and working at a sub I, You know, and I would challenge myself, how fast can I make this sub? <laughs> that was like my biggest challenge. 
Um, but you were a little kid, and there was a pool table in the back, and Mark would bring you, and you loved to shoot pool and get free subs. Well, hell yeah. Heck of course yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're working, you got your master's, you're working at a sub shop, so when was the day of hallelujah, I got my real job? Oh, God, was that a great day. We were so poor. You have no memory of how broke we were, but we were so broke. So I got this job at Hocking College in 1984, and uh, I was so excited when I got the call that I got the job, and Mark's in my memory of that is, I mean, you were, I don't know, 18 months, maybe? I don't know, little. <laughs> and I came home, and found, he found out we had, you know, we had the job, and we both just started jumping up and down, and then we started singing... We're in the money. We and we were throwing you back and forth in the kitchen. I I don't think we dropped you. No, I'm pretty sure we didn't drop you, but you loved it. But in in hindsight, I think, oh my God, what were we thinking? And I, you know, I didn't. Are you tossing me like? Are we talking like you and Dad are like two feet away? Or are we talking you're you're fifty feet away? Okay, like, how, how far apart are you and I? We're probably about. 10 feet, maybe less. That's how far. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> far enough for you to be able to throw your arms up and kick your legs out. <laughs> and so this is celebration of getting the job. Where were you headed? Where was I headed? To the job. Where Where? Where had oh, you just gotten hired? Hocking College. Did I not say that? I don't think okay, so. I don't okay. know. We're having like, we're just having our go. I'm okay. missing some things. That's all right. So Hawking College. And I made no money. It is amazing how little money I made then. It well, just, more than it, someone preparing subs as fast as they can. A, a bit more. <laughs> yeah. And I had health insurance. Right. So that was good. That That's was good. huge. Mm -hmm. Was Hawking College still at that point like trailers? No. And stuff because I know that like that's kind of how Hawking started was sort of just yep. like as trailers that were the classrooms. It it wasn't still at that point when you got there. No, there were I think four buildings on that campus when I started there. How many are there now? Oh, there's a I don't know. Let, let if you really want me to count. Well, no, but general. I would say a dozen. They've definitely done at some least. expanding. At least, yeah. Yeah, a dozen main classroom buildings, right? Yeah. Because then there's other buildings that I think aren't like classroom right. buildings, but... And dorms. And dorms, right. Yeah. They've really expanded. Yeah. So were you going right in there to teach oh, creative writing no. finally yet? Nope, or? nope, nope. I started as really developmental, so I taught students who really weren't ready for college writing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I had a blast an absolute <laughs> blast because that place i had worked at ou too i had done some some teaching there hawking uh -huh. college was a whole different breed and it was an absolute hilarious wonderful experience i just can't tell you i mean i had students from 18 to 70 75 years old right i had like bikers my first semester there i had like a male model who was in some sexy lingerie magazine and he was a model and he was just this little beautiful little man and, <laughs> and then his best friend was this great big red-headed biker and uh i loved it there i absolutely loved it there i gotta say so then i i eventually met roy bentley right i was gonna say is that where you right. met roy bentley i met roy bentley 
right away. He already worked there when I worked there. What department was he in? He was also in English, uh-huh. and he was the creative writing god. Right. He was the only one that taught it. And back then, you know, we could say, gosh, I really want to teach this course. And we got all kinds of support back then to do it. So he really built a fine creative writing program. And he also did the literary magazine out there, Riverwind. Mm-hmm. So the second year I was there, I started, uh, I was the poetry editor. And then he and I became fast friends. He ended up moving on, and then I took over the magazine. Roy Menley, in my mind, has always been kind of like, um, I don't know, because I've never really, you know, I've been around him a lot, but not enough that my memory really knows it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So in my mind, I've built this this character of Roy Bentley, and he's he's sort of like, um, I don't know. Bigger than life? He's the hillbilly version of Jack Kerouac is kind of what I got. Oh, wow. That's totally cool. I bet he'd love that. You know, the, he's, he's the, he's the guy that I feel like is, is the quintessential romanticized writer that, Mm -hmm. that writers romanticize about and that he's lived that life. And, (laughs) and, and that, and, and now, and now I look at him, I see him, I go, man, I, I I wish I would have grown up around him a little bit more. Yeah. Well, he was the one who, oh, I wish I could even remember how it went. But we, like I said, we had no money when when you were young. We lived in a house that was big. Your bedroom had absolutely no heat. I think I remember pictures of me sleeping in a guitar case. When you were a baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we won't go there yet. But anyway, so he, what, shoot, now where was my story headed? Roy came over. Oh, I know. You were opening a present. And... It was like wrapped in newspaper or something. And this just sounds like too weird to even be real, but it's real. And you were thanking Mark and I for the newspaper, as if you really loved getting this newspaper. Well, when you finally got into what it was, it was like a superhero, which is what you really loved. And when I told Roy that story, he just started kind of, well, he didn't really laugh. He just kind of smiled and said, well, a kid who doesn't have any heat in his room learns to appreciate the little things, you know? He was... <laughs> anyway. Newspaper, just what I always wanted, Oh, man, wanted, I guys. love this. Thank you. Thank you so much for the newspaper. <laughs> so did he... Um, when did Riverwind come into play then? He, he did not start it. I, I think a guy named Benny... Can't remember his last name. Benny. I, that's sickening that I can't remember it, but I can't. Did it for one year. Then Roy came on, took it over, and Roy really made it happen. And it, and Riverwind was a was it a quarterly uh, book of poems? It was only it was annual, and it was it was national. So we had writers from all over. Now, when the funding the grant funding got a little tighter, we had we had to make it regional uh-huh. to to showcase the area. But that wasn't hard. We have a lot of really good writers around here. So, you know that became its own cool thing definitely to, to just kind of showcase the area writers mm-hmm. that sort of became a niche almost for mm-hmm. for for riverwind do you think absolutely we were unique hocking college was very unique at the time because they had a literary magazine i don't think there was another community college and back then that was a technical college right that had anything to do with the arts at all so we had this really cool national literary magazine Again, then we went regional, and uh, and yeah, that became a pretty cool niche. We really got a name for ourselves, and it, in fact, you know, here I was, just some little young punk 
doing my little literary magazine. And in writing, I got to know a lot of the regional writers mm -hmm. just from dialogue back and forth about submissions and things. Mm -hmm. um, but it kind of blew my mind when I would go to like a writing conference or I would go to something at the Ohio Arts Council and everybody knew who I was because I was the editor for Riverwind Literary Magazine. And I didn't <laughs> think of it as anything. I just thought of it as talking college little two-year magazine. Right. Like, you know? <laughs> So it was really cool to be out there and see that it did, it was known. And the, yeah, and you, you became, what was the transition? I mean, did you hop right into the, to be an editor since you knew Roy? Yep. Yep. That's how it works. Yeah. You got the in. <laughs> That's right. So you were basically editor since you stepped in the door, kind of. Pretty much. I, I did poetry editor for a little while. And then when Roy took off and then another local poet, uh, Jane Ann Fuller mm -hmm. became, uh, poetry editor and then we just sort of did it together chris williams worked on it jeffrey hansen worked on it was it poetry only or there also like essays and, and mm -hmm. the whole like thing yeah we did some photography too so it was a whole uh, sort of literary uh journal yearly uh and not not just a poetry one right right gotcha. so we had a fiction editor right yeah, I forget about those fiction people. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's all about poetry for me. Um, yeah, we had a fiction editor, a poetry editor, and then I was like the main editor. We had readers, uh -huh. too, who, who would read for us. We tried to get the students involved. That didn't go over real well. <laughs> <laughs> well, reading poetry is, you can't just kind of get anyone to do it. No, really. you can't. No, you can't. You learn that pretty quickly. So, you know, this is a little, uh, this... This, this show, this podcast, a little bit about Athens and wanting to talk about Athens. We've been talking to some of the local legends. So over the you know past 30 years, you may have had some, some students, too, who are now some of our quote-unquote lo local legends, too. I mean, you've taught a lot of, lot of people, right? I have. I mean, you had, uh, who'd, you, who'd you have in there, right? Junebug. Junebug, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Roman, Roman Warmke. Roman um, bass guy, right? Yep. Amazing. Yep. Yeah. And, and everyone I, knows Junebug. Oh right. So. And then another guy who, oh, I love that guy. His, everyone knows Roman, too. <laughs> everyone knows Roman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, Roman. <laughs> Jeez. Um, golly, that, what's the head shop down there on Court Street? Oh, the import house? Yeah, the import house. There was a guy who worked there named Mark, and boy, if I could remember his nickname, everybody knew him, too. Um. But I had him. <laughs> I can't remember his name. <laughs> a lot of good that does. See the guy with the mohawk? No. 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 He had a great big beard and he rode a Harley. And he was one of the original people in there. Shoot, I wish I could remember his nickname too because I'm starting to think I know who this who this is who you're talking to. And no hair. Well, he had hair when I had him as a student. He sort of developed his look. You know, I I'll love think it. of it. So, for the so you're semester. you're molding the minds. That's right. Of the local That's Athens right. scene, <laughs> we've been having guests on here who've been making music for the local Athens scene, and 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 some artists in the local Athens art scene. But you've been molding minds, been molding minds. of the scene. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> they paid me to do that. Yeah. So, uh, what compelled you? Was it just for? just because I want to, but what compelled you to think I'm going to take my son and drag his ass over to England mm -hmm. and force him to go to school in England for a year? Well, we didn't really look at it that way. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, we didn't really consider you much, actually. <laughs> <laughs> He'll figure it out. He'll figure it out. You were quick on your feet always. Um, I, quite frankly, was getting bored. I was bored. I'd been doing the same thing for five years. How old was I at that point? Like, I wasn't even, was I 30, maybe? Maybe 30. When I first applied for a Fulbright. And, um, yeah, I was bored. And I thought, gosh, that would be really fun. Let's just go live somewhere else for a year. <laughs> So that's what we did. We applied for it. We got it. So you got the Fulbright scholarship and we moved to England. And so what did that entail? I mean, you were going over to England to teach, but what were you teaching over in England? You know what? If I had ever known what I would be asked to do over there, I probably wouldn't have done it. It got me so far out of my comfort zone, which ended up being like the best thing in the world for me because I was always a bit of a recluse. I could go into a classroom and do my thing. And I could write poems, but I hated to read them. It is amazing that I was even in that band, isn't it? Yeah. When you think about it. Absolutely. But going to England <laughs> took me so far out of my comfort zone that when I came back here, it was like my comfort zone was so flexible. So what did I teach there? I taught British people Shakespeare. So an American, that terrifying? An American is coming over to England mm -hmm. to teach British students Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, so were you getting like the whole like, what the fuck do you know about Shakespeare, you you Yankee? Probably not until I started teaching it. <laughs> <laughs> like when I walked in, they probably thought I was I was so young too, you know. They thought like, I, wow, this must be some. She must be amazing. Uh, this is huge American scholar who's just <laughs> well known for her Shakespearean knowledge. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, I had to do that. And I got, fortunately, I did get to teach some American writers as well. Um, I taught creative writing. Uh -huh. And then I taught sociology, like two or three sections of that. I, I had no experience doing that. I had to teach environmental science. Whoa, really? Yeah. Which, I didn't know that. Yeah. What um, do you know about environmental? Well, I know now you're kind of a green person these days. You're very on me about being good to the environment. But what do you know about environmental science? <laughs> And am I good to you? Am I really like, do I seem like a greenie to you? I don't. Yeah. Okay. Good. Absolutely. Oh, we recycle. We hey, do that. Compost piles. We do. And, and we try to keep our lights out. Absolutely. Everything. <laughs> right? I mean, but what did I know about environmental science? Absolutely nothing. So. I mean, you were taking your own bag to the grocery store mm -hmm. before doing that was cool. That's true. You know, no, now bag, I no wasting bags. Now I go in and I don't, and it's like, shoot, I left that in the car again. But, um. Yeah, it was crazy. And then they were going to have me teach business law. What? Uh-huh. That's where I drew the line. I'm like, You're like mm, no. No, I don't do that. No, I don't do that. So, yeah, we went over to England and, um, and well, that was what awesome. a year. If my memory, basically, as far as I'm concerned, you didn't teach. All we did was travel all over the place. <laughs> we, you did. Like, my memory is that, we, that we didn't go over there to do anything. Mm-hmm. Just to live and that's how children are. They Italy don't they don't see France the ugly and, stuff. <laughs> and all the other stuff. Yep. Well, that's because I only taught Monday through Thursday. We always left on Thursday to go somewhere. Right. We and always we, were going. And then somewhere. we came back on a Sunday and I took time off and we did a long trip in Europe. If you recall, we went to Ireland several times, Scotland. So we did. We we traveled a lot. We right. went to London a lot. It seemed like we were that's what we did. We were just kind of traveling the whole time and had a home camp and in Kendall, right? Right. And I'll tell you why we traveled so much. 
is because my life was hell there. It was really a very hard job. I didn't... Why is it? What made it a hard job? I mean, were you doing more than just... I, I mean, obviously, you're teaching classes that sounds like are out of That were so out of my element. Is that, was was that really okay. it? No, that wasn't it. Because I had wonderful students. But interestingly enough, like the education system now here in this country reminds me of what it was like there then. Uh -huh. Because I was coming from a country and a college where I was allowed to totally explore I was allowed to take my students intellectually where I wanted to take them. Uh -huh. And it was just amazing. It was so much fun. The students loved it. And then I went over to England and everything was very, you know, everybody had to be accountable for this and that. And all of the schools were privately run. They weren't run by the government. And so everybody was pinching pennies and they counted how many pens we had. Well, that's that's what it's like now here teaching. Yeah. But back then when I went there, like, I was mortified. And and teachers weren't respected. I mean, they're not respected here now either. So it's almost like, you So know. you were under, like, a magnifying glass, it seemed like. And, mm -hmm. uh, that obvious, that brings pressure mm -hmm. right away. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Just having that at your job where it looks like somebody's, like, feels like you're being... Well, and judged and watched the whole time, you know. And we taught so many classes, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, I, I, I just was not used to anything like that at all. And you know, I don't know. Can I say that I feel like too many people at where we lived judged me as an American. Mm -hmm. That was also during the first Bush's war, right? So. You know, that was very real. I remember, very palpable. Uh, I do have memories of like, we did so much traveling um, during that time. But I do remember some times we were like, maybe we shouldn't travel right now because a well, lot we got of stuff warnings. was going on. Yeah. yeah, we got warnings sent to us from the United States government, which I now think was bullshit in a way. Because, <laughs> I mean, if you recall, we did see some really loud, obnoxious Americans Right. In our travels. Yeah. We weren't those people. Right. So, you know, we probably would have been pretty much fine anywhere we would have wanted to go. And we did. I mean, and it did, did feel like we went mm -hmm. everywhere we wanted to go. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. I'm glad I was able to have that. And now, the sister is going to get to go over to England. Finally. Finally. <laughs> she got ripped off. Yep. 20 she, years later. Yep. She gets to go. Yep. We're going to go up to your old stomping grounds, spend a few days. My old stomping grounds. <laughs> Kendall Castle. Well, Kendall Castle was awesome. Was awesome. And I guess, you know, I mean, looking back, if you would have given me the choice, I wouldn't have wanted to go to school there. Mm -mm. If we could have figured out a way to homeschool or something like that. Because, I mean, it was what it was. It wasn't that bad or anything. And I don't have any, uh, you know, memories that have, like, scarred, scarred me. Yeah, or anything Except like that. Except the ghosts. Well, the ghosts haven't scarred me either. Mm -hmm. At the time, maybe it seemed like they did, but... Well, if it makes you feel any better, if I could do it over again, I wouldn't want to go to school there either. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, it was all good. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it was a great time. I got to say, thank you for taking me on that, actually, and forcing <laughs> me to go over there and dress up in a suit and whatever to go to school and that Catholic school. As bad as it was when I talk about it like that, <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, but, okay, listening audience, 
Hill was not, uh, you know, he, he had to wear the suit, but he refused to wear the shoes. Right, because let's set it up here. We're going to a Catholic school mm-hmm. once I get over there. And, and everyone, you know, dresses the same. It's Catholic school. They got to wear their little, all the guys are wearing their little sweater vests and their ties and their 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 black fancy shoes and all the girls in the skirts. and Another brick in the wall. Yeah. And I wasn't going to be one. <laughs> right. So you wore sneakers. Sneakers. Or whatever you call them. And a clip-on tie. And a clip-on tie. (laughs) You were the radical. And then the principal said to us, well, since the Americans sent us care packages during the war, we'll let it go. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wow, you guys have long memories. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness we did that. Thank goodness. I'm glad we sent care packages. And I remember you coming home from gym class because you refused to wear the gym uniform. And you wore cut-off sweats, and the kids made fun of you. And when you came up, you said, it was like they were on drugs or something. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in second grade. That was hilarious. After getting made fun of for wearing cut-off sweatpants, (laughs) because they yelled at me like like they were on drugs or something. (laughs) You survived, thank God. I did survive, and that that was great. Um... And we went to awesome places. I really wish I had more memories of like Piccadilly Circus. Mm-hmm. And, and Blackpool. And Blackpool. We're, We're going to go with Blackpool. Yeah, we've got a whole song about that. And I don't remember <laughs> that at all. I don't remember that part at all. I mean, was there really cool, you know, um, street music going on all over in London when we go to visit and um, and stuff like that? Like, was there a music scene, did you think? Did it, did it feel like? Or was it more like a, like when I think England, I think theater for some reason. Uh-huh. Um, and we did go to see theater, so do you remember much of that? Because you were really into Roald Dahl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You read yeah. like every one of his books we went when we were to go there. See the BFG. We went to see the BFG, and did we go see James and the Giant Peach too? I think so. I think we did. So yeah, we did some. We did some kid theater. We didn't do right. grown up theater. Right. <laughs> that's all right. Ellen and I'll go do the grown up theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I mean, you had a kid. That that's kind of cool. You had a kid. And you got to visit England and and hang out with a with a nine year old or eight year old, and and now you'll get to visit it again with a with a twenty two year old. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Ella, you'll get to really enjoy it. She'll be allowed in the pubs. She'll be allowed in the pubs. She'll prefer the tea shops, but we'll, <laughs> we'll check out some pubs. <laughs> it was awesome, and then we came back. Uh, we came back, and that was about when I was like starting third grade. I got to miss second grade, thank God, because I heard that the second grade teachers at my school were horrible. <laughs> I don't even remember their name, so they don't even get a name drop for how horrible they were. <laughs> but I got to miss that, and uh, and then finally we were back in the states, and then then I was in my stomping grounds. Welcome to be back. You were glad, yeah. We're going to take a break now here. We're actually going to rewind it and listen to a little bit more of that music that you were doing back then with the LG Krebs Quartet. And we're going to listen to some more songs from that uh, uh, Parrots on Fire is the name of the album. And uh, Which song are you listening to? Well, we're going we're gonna to listen to quite a few of them, but I want to bring up something right now too because you were saying it's amazing that you could even... I've sang in that and and been in that group. Mm-hmm. Um, and isn't there a story about how there was uncontrollable laughter going on and you just couldn't stop laughing throughout stuff? 
I've got some good stuff. You know what? We've, we're going to have Mark Hackworth on here for the Father's Day special, too. He'll know more stories. The good, embarrassing stories, I think, are going to be able to help. He's going to be able to talk to me about those, definitely. Because I heard that it was, like, impossible to record you, actually. It was funny you said that. And, and you guys, like, had to drink some, like, milk or something. Oh, God. Because you couldn't stop laughing. No, no, no. The story, that's a, probably a different story. The story goes, <laughs> I drank milk. I loved milk. And as I was drinking the milk, Bosco was like, you should not drink milk before you sing because you're going to sing flat. I, I didn't know that, but that's true. So we went down to record, and I could not get the notes. I was flat. I've never been flat in my life singing. I mean, I can carry a tune, if I, if nothing else. And, of course, we laughed our asses off. And so then I had to drink lemon juice. Lemon juice, I guess, juice, to right. clear yeah. the, yeah. That's to to the, tighten it back up or I something. Guess so. I don't know. But I think we really had to call it a bomb and just forget it for a while. Well, I, I thought that it was actually going to be one of those things where you're like, Hill... You're grown up now. It's time to tell you we weren't drinking milk, okay? No, I was drinking milk. <laughs> but that wasn't milk. I mean, it was early in the day, that's, so that's yeah. just a memory. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't just drink milk, but I was a milk drinker. So we're gonna listen to um, uh, uh, a few songs on here because there's some the, some quick ones. The first one is my favorite, and it's the first track off. It's called Happy Grotto. Um, and we're also going to listen to Chinese Restaurant. The first one we listened to was Chinese Restaurant Revisited. So now we're going to listen to Chinese Restaurant. I think that's got Dad on the vocals. Okay. Um, Happy Grotto with Greg on the vocals. And then uh, also then I just wanted to mix it up. I think we're going to listen to one that, that you aren't on, but I really like it. It's uh, Sins of the World Polka. Oh, okay. Um, it's it's I really like that song. It's a real quick one. And uh, Greg's voice on it and, and his writing it's just so genius awesome, yeah. i kind of call this this is like i think that that algae crabs quartet was way ahead of its time it was personally it absolutely was um it, it it's it's diy music and it wasn't like anything else that obviously was probably being played in in you know 1985 mm -hmm. um not your normal 1985 genre of music i don't think and it's got like a mixture of like Old school Tom Waits and Beck and uh, it was. I agree. It's, it's I great. think it was way out of my. And I gotta, you know, I gotta give a shout out to Greg Anderson. He's not with us anymore, but he did the writing for that for that album. And there were times where like some of the guys would get a tune together, and then they would just send Greg off into a room, <laughs> and he wasn't always happy about it. It was like, okay, you have got. 17 minutes to write a song to this, <laughs> do it. And he would go off grumbling and come out with, with this music. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> and we're going to listen to some of it. We're on View from the Hill. You can listen to the replay, and you're listening live at www.viewfromthehill.com. I'm here with my mother, Audrey, and uh, we're having a fun time hanging out. Listen to this. Happy Grotto, Chinese Restaurant, Sins of the World Polka. This is the LG Krebs Quartet. Some of that 1980s music. Loving it. We'll be right back. Taj Mahal. You can't 
can't spit tobacco at an upscale ball The day they built the big house should scared us all How often does a beagle know the time of day? My skull is like a brother, but he moved away The day they built the poor house done scared us away
a man The laughter was infectious But I'd become immune This night would leave me feeling Like a hapless blue buffoon From the hill www.viewfromthehill.com it's the mother's day special and i'm sitting down with my mom yay we just got done listening to um some songs uh from a little project that she was involved in back in the early 80s uh the algae krebs quartet i was actually looking up online last night and pretty funny the algae krebs quartet's all over online I can't get over that. I know. We're going to have to talk to Steve or something about that. I mean, you can go and it says that you can like buy the audio cassette somewhere. Um, in another place, you can buy the download. Really? And it's got everyone's name. I mean, I was getting names from from random websites, you know, wow. like musiccity.com or something like that. You know, God, and, see, that's the internet for you, isn't it? Right. I mean, pre-internet. Well, we were pre-internet. But yeah. That's amazing. If you guys want to look up Algie Krebs Quartet, I couldn't find a specific website they did have. It's kind of gotten lost throughout the years, but you can look it up. Algie Krebs is spelled A-L-G-Y, and Krebs is K-R-E-B-B-S. That's the Algie Krebs Quartet, and that album is called Parrots on Fire. We just got done listening to the song Happy Grotto, Chinese Restaurant, and Sins of the World Polka. That Sins of the World Polka <laughs> song, I love it. Your parrot was on fire. I love that. <clears throat> And Greg's voice, I mean, I I just love his voice. I, I love Tom Waits, and he's got kind of a, a voice that reminds it's gravelly. me. gravelly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little bit of uh, a Tom Waits. Um, so we were just talking about our time that we had in England, and you were teaching over in England, and we just uh, came back home. And mm -hmm. so at that time, we were living in town still. First Street. On First Street, mm -hmm. right. And you were uh, back off to the world of Hawking, mm -hmm. and um, at that point, was it still a technical college? Was it Hawking Technical College still? Yep, it was. It that, was. Around that time, though, is when it changed to just a, just a community, community college. college. Yeah, I'll tell you, though, I, I don't know that Dr. Light ever wanted that, but it happened under his tenure there. Mm -hmm. What do you mean that he didn't ever want that? 
There is a very strong, or there was a very strong contingent. To be honest, most of them are gone now. Um, so many people have left uh, that really wanted to hang on to the technical education component. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, this area, it's, it's arts. Absolutely. You know, so that could not help but infiltrate. And then when the, when the community of Nelsonville re really wanted to sort of promote itself as, um, an arts community, you know, the college was right there. We had the creative writing thing going on. And even before they had the art program at Hawking College, we did readings on the square. We did them in the uh -huh. galleries there. How, so how had long a presence. Have, have all those galleries been around? I mean, have the galleries been a part of Nelsonville for a while? or? Uh, gosh, I would say since around late 90s, maybe 2000. Because it is. It's, it's surprisingly got quite the art scene yeah. in Nelsonville. And, I mean, you'd really never expect it kind of if you just especially if you just traveled through if you used to just travel through because right. you used to have to travel through to go on to columbus yeah on 33 and you don't have to anymore and when when i would drive through there i'd seriously laugh out loud thinking arts yeah art but those final fridays they're pretty cool that they, they do there um, yeah, they now are. and um you know shout out to the to the foothills the Foothills actually is no more. So here's what happened. Foothills and Hawking, you know, they became one, right? Mm -hmm. Foothills was an independent thing. Hawking, when they started their art program, they started it in partnership with the Foothills. Right. Then the Foothills, it, it was a mess. And it, it just, it floundered and fell apart. And so now they have the, um, oh, it's Hawking College uh, School of American Art and Design is okay. what it is now. Did they take over the same building that the Foothills Gallery was in? That's a whole nother story. It, it's it's been three or four different places. The most recent, I mean, they their their gallery burned. Their most recent gallery right. burned when the Stewart's Opera House right. area caught on fire. So they just had a really beautiful opening in a in another gallery on the square. That's even better than the one that burnt down. It looked great from the pictures. It really looked. Yeah. It looked beautiful. It was nice. Yeah, real nice. They had like a concept room, so this little tiny room where those students are making experimental art. It's pretty cool. Boy, we really got off track. Where were we? <laughs> Nothing. We're just talking about the uh, just the Nelsonville art scene, kind of, yeah. and just how um, it, that kind of took over and helped take over the feel of the college, which which then transitioned to the the community college instead of just being right. a technical college, right? And I don't know if they're wanting to switch it back. I don't know what's going on. But the art program's still going strong over there. Who knows what's going on with Hawking College Who these knows? days? Who knows? Yeah. No idea. Mystery. I know um, at some point, though, you got involved uh, working with ATCO, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was through Patty Mitchell. And what actually happened... So, well, first of all, I want to stop and say, mm -hmm. um, you know, for everyone out there listening, I know you're not the spokesperson for them, Um but what is ATCO? Okay, ATCO is a sheltered workshop for adults with disabilities. Okay. And there are many of them in this community, many good ones. But ATCO at that time, and I can't speak for now because I'm, I'm not over there anymore, but it was, you know, tops in its class. Maybe still be for all I know, but I haven't been over there. The place to be. It was because they really were into the arts. Uh -huh. And they really... You know, and I, I give Patty Mitchell, I have to say, I give her a hell of a lot of credit for that. She's the one who went in there and just thought, gosh, give somebody a paintbrush and they're going to paint. 
give them some clay, they're going to make something. Mm -hmm. And they're all going to be communicating through that. So she opened that collaborative art studio over there. And Did that's how I got involved. Did she bring, like, is Passionworks something she brought collaboratively too? Or is Passionworks what was born from from her kind of going over there and starting the art program? Patty gave birth to that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what I mean, though. Did she give birth to that? At um, Atco. At Atco. Mm -hmm. Just just from saying that, hey, give these guys a paintbrush. Get you know, she, give someone. I a think she went in there paint. to do like a two week or three week residency, where you know you get money from the Ohio Arts Council, you have an idea, and they give you the money to go in and implement it. And everybody knew, holy crap, this is a whole new way to to expose people with disabilities to the world and to the arts and also to expose the world to people with disabilities. Right. You know, they don't call them sheltered workshops for nothing. Absolutely. Um, so she came in there and um, she she sort of got an art thing going. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, sort of that thought of give someone a paintbrush and they'll paint. Um, and, and so there were, there, they were getting involved with the visual arts and then did you on your own or was it directly through Hawking even that you went in there and got involved with, with the, with the writing? Uh, no, at that time, my friends were starting to finally catch up and, and have babies. And, uh, my friend, Margaret Hudson and Bob Lazuka, also a local musician, Dave Borowski's her husband, mm -hmm. Margaret's uh, husband now. Dave Borowski. I got to get Dave Borowski on this show. You should. He'd be a hoot to have on here. Um, and Bob Lazuka, who's also a local musician. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, it was Bob and Margaret's second child, and his name was Gabriel, still is Gabriel. And he was born with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I was writing stories for all of my friends' babies, just for something fun to do. And Ella did the drawings and whatnot. Right. So we did a story called The Story of Flying uh -huh. for... Um, for Margaret and Patty Mitchell happened to see it and she was working over at, uh, at Passionworks at the time. She contacted me and said, Oh my God, this story is, is just so amazing. And it was really just the story of two siblings because Gabriel has an older sister, Sophie. And I knew that they would have a very special bond because I also had a sister with a disability. And mm -hmm. so I really understood what that is between siblings so Patty Mitchell saw that story. She contacted me and said, can we bring this story to life? I said, sure. They did it. They had an exhibition up at the Kennedy Museum. And as far as I know, it is the most well-attended show that has ever gone on up there. Wow. And they extended it. It went like, I think, six months. Well, let's expand had... on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. you, you, we, we, you kind of yadi yadi did it a little bit. Okay. Um, she said, I want to bring this to life. And then you said, and they did. And they did. How did they do that? <laughs> okay. What do you mean bring it to life? They, uh, this, it's the story of this, this little boy and his sister. And oh God, I, I should have really brought a copy of that book and I didn't. Like I said, it's about their special relationship. But there's a story that's told in it. And at some point in the story, he gives the little girl some seeds and they plant them and they fly away and they see their parents dreaming in the bed below them, mm -hmm. um, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> so Patty Mitchell's studio, the ATCO um, artists and whatever guest artists that she got in there, they actually created the characters, the setting, the scene. 
And so they did a complete installation at the Kennedy Museum ah. of that story. And then I think I'm the one that recorded it. They had that story playing. And then um, Purple Chopsticks, Ed, right. um, had a big part of that show up for many years. And I, you yeah. know, it may even still be partly up there. And my story's in there. So he had that hanging in there for years, too. I don't know if the story's still hanging in right. there. Right, right. And then that story got taken down to South America somewhere and they did a coloring book of it and they did it half in English and then you flip it wow. over and the other side's in Spanish. So oh, it, wow. it had quite a bizarre run. But as a result of that, Patty said to me, uh, gosh, why don't you bring your students over to ACO and, and write with them? Uh-huh. And I could not even imagine doing that. <laughs> I have to say, I just looked at her like, what are you talking about? So I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll come in first and I'll do it by myself. And so I can get a feel for what that's going to be like. Mm -hmm. And then I'll present this to the college, see if they're into doing some kind of service learning thing. So the first day, I'll tell you the story really quick if we have time. Absolutely. I went into the uh, Atco Sheltered Workshop and Patty said, I'm going to hook you up with this guy named Ed. And he is so cool. So Ed had uh, some sort of developmental disability, but he was really a huge man. And um, Patty <laughs> failed to tell me that he was deaf in one ear and half deaf in the other ear. So I was speaking into the completely deaf ear, and I said, so I hear you like to write. And he just looked at me, and I said, do you like to write? He just looked at me. I said, what do you like to write about? Nothing. Nothing. I felt like a complete idiot. Oh, no. So I walked over to Patty in the other room and said, So, Patty, um, he's not responding to me at all. And she just looked at me dead on and said, Well, you know he's like deaf, right? <laughs> like, no, I don't know that. But now I do. Thank you. <laughs> Does he hear at all? So I got to be on his better side and I you know i spoke intentionally using my lips and mm -hmm. and we managed to communicate pretty effectively and he wrote um a, we wrote together a poem about where he wanted to travel and it turned out to be a really fun cool thing i went and did it about three more times and i thought we're going to do this my students and i are going to do this so my first quarter doing that um it was a complete leap of faith because we didn't have a bus to get us there um, do you now, or did, no. did they at the end? Cause I know you're not, you're no. not working over at Hawking anymore. No, my students drove themselves. We did, yeah, we did carpooling and it amazed me cause I thought there's no freaking way these guys are going to show up. They got to drive all the way down. I'm telling you what, that was the best attendance attended class because <laughs> you get so high from that experience. Here's the thing about people with disabilities. That's so beautiful. They don't speak in cliche. You know, right. when we write poems, well, her eyes were as blue as the sky or, you know, whatever other cliche we want to come up with. They don't, they don't think that way. Right. So that was cool. So they come up with... Really weird stuff. <laughs> some crazy <laughs> metaphors yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just amazing. Um, or similes. And the other thing that is so wonderful about working with people, uh, the people at ATCO, was that they're unafraid. And they don't judge us. Mm -hmm. So my students would be a nervous wreck on that first and second 
meeting because they were so insecure. And I kept saying to them, these guys are not judging you. They are totally not judging you. They are so <laughs> excited for this. You cannot imagine. So that was a really powerful thing for me to be able to help <coughs> students understand that you just got to put yourself out there. It seems, it seems truly amazing. And a lot of the things I've read um, and heard, and we'll talk about that in a bit, um, it's just amazing writing. And so what I really want to understand um, is kind of the process, uh, because I know that, you know, a lot of the clients there have probably got a, a really hard time communicating. Yep. Um, so how exactly do they write? How, how does that happen? How does it come from them helping you write to this final product, this poem that comes out. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. First of all, it's an individual process. So when the students would say, is this going to be awkward? My answer was absolutely. Because you are getting to know how that individual does communicate. Um, and typically, it was up to the student to ask questions. And sometimes uh, a client might be really shy. So when Jana's uh, partner would say, so Jana, let's write a poem about your mother. What, what was your mother like? She would say, pretty. And the, <laughs> and the student would say, pretty? Well, what was she like? Nice. Right. And, you know, when I, as a writing teacher, I would always tell students, the strength of your writing is in the detail. It's either in the story or the character, but you have to make it visceral for your reader. Mm -hmm. And um, after my students took that class, if they had had me in the other writing class where they just did essays, they would say to me, okay, I get it. It's got to be detailed. Because eventually that student working with Jana would say, well, your mom was pretty. What did she look like? What color were her eyes? What color was her hair? Uh -huh. What what was her favorite dress? What did it look like? Oh, it had flowers. Oh, it had an apron that tied in the back, you know. Right. So, um, and so the process was slow. And I did record the process. I did a thing where I recorded the process all the way through to the piece of music that ended up happening. But we haven't even gotten to that yet. Right. Which, I mean, we'll, we'll <laughs> take it there now. Um, this writing had been going on for a while. You'd been doing the, the ACCO collaborative with your class for, for a while. For five years at least. Um, and who decided and approached you that these should be songs? <laughs> it didn't happen like that no? at all. Okay. No. And you know, the thing about life is it's all a ripple effect, right? You throw, a pond, you throw a stone in the pond and then it just ripples out. That is exactly how your life is. Mm -hmm. So that idea didn't just come up. What ended up happening was Gay Dalzell, local musician from the local girls, was doing some sort of a music class over there. and At ATCO. Uh-huh. And uh -huh. her and I just got to yakking in the hall, and I said, gosh, wouldn't it be fun? Or she might have said, gosh, wouldn't it be fun? I don't remember who, who said it first, but do you remember Mad Libs, the game Mad Libs? Yeah. Okay. So I thought, God, let's take like just some old blues lyrics and take words out of them and just put in blank spaces and then have the students read the line to their partners and, and say, what would you fill in that line? And have the ATCO client fill it in. And we did it, and it was amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. If I could have brought examples, and I should have, but I didn't. But, you know, oh, golly, think of a cliched blues line. My baby... You know you my know, baby left me. Okay, you know my baby, and you say to the client, you know my baby, and the client might say... um, Rides in a wheelchair. 
And so then your blues lyric is, my baby rides in a wheelchair, you know? (laughs) Right. And so we did a whole bunch of those, and we performed them at the Disabilities Awareness Festival, and you could have heard a pin drop. It It was packed. And Bruce and Gay did the music, I think. You know, they just took the the pieces that we did and put them into the blues licks. Mm -hmm. And at some point in that evening, Bruce Dalzell, Patty Mitchell, and I, we locked eyes. And it was like, why aren't we making music? So that's how that idea was born. It was born that night. And I do want to give a shout out to Jeff Beerline who was the community inclusion uh, coordinator over there. He was a huge part in what we did there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, we just put together the poems that the students had written, tons of them, for the past five years, and I gave them to Bruce. He put them into little packets and handed them out to musicians. And we sort of did this based on the same principle as the Passionwork Studio, which is... I'm going to hand you, let's say, well, I did hand you a piece because you were on that second CD Mm -hmm. and said, take this piece of writing and, uh, and you did it completely differently. But anyway, we would say to a musician, take this piece of writing, keep its integrity. You might keep it word for word, but you might not because you might not be able to make it work right in the rhythm that you want. So you have the liberty to honor that piece, but tweak it in a way that you need to do so. Right. So, 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 your students were coming in. They were helping, and they were not helping, but they were working with the ACO clients to write these one on one. They pretty much did of it. Poetry, mm-hmm. and then um, those poems were being given to local musicians, and kind of being like, you know, here's the words, uh, keep its integrity. But you also have some some artistic, uh, you know, you've got some, absolutely. yeah, you've got some mm-hmm. room to move, mm-hmm. and and some some songs were were starting to be created. Can you tell me uh, who are some local musicians that you were reaching out to? Okay, and actually, Bruce did all the reaching out too. He he was the one who handled that part of it. Um, God, just name a musician. We'll start with Bruce and Gay Dalzell, um, J.D. Hutchison. I believe was on one of them. Yorma was on one of them. You were, of course, on right. one of them. Um, Jack Wright was. Did he ever get on? Boy, anything? I don't think Jack did. I don't think Jack did. Tim Peacock did. I gave you. I think I gave you a list. It's a no. Uh, Laura Nadal, of course, huge. So that would have been also Catfish, Dave Bear, right. Rattle Trap. Um, Rattle Trap. Yeah. The band was in that. God, so many people. So many people. A lot of people. That was a lot of fun. I did it kind of, uh, I took it a little bit differently and I sort of uh, recorded uh, my own music and and did some, some instrumentation. But then I had the client who wrote the poem come in and, and, and speak his words over it. And uh, I thought that was amazing. I thought oh. I had a really great time doing that. I'll tell you what, you did something that, I would have loved to have seen them do a whole other CD just like that because you were the one who said, well, why do you want me to sing this? I mean, you were like the coolest musician of all. I thought it blew my mind. <laughs> Thanks mom. <laughs> I'm serious. Cause you're like, why don't we just have David come in here and do it? And I said to you, well, he's not going to be able to read this poem. And you said, that's all right. 
because I will do it in pieces. I'll do it in pieces, and yeah. th and that took you forever. Yeah, we just did a did a you know word for word, line for line, not word for word, but I kind of talked with him, engaged how much you know he could talk at once, because he was sort of a guy who who would talk and then have to have to breathe a little bit, and then he could say something else, and then he'd have to breathe. So I just had to kind of gauge mm -hmm. how much he could say at once, and we just took it piece by piece, and then laid his words on top of the music I had made. And it, it was a really fun experience. I think he had a blast coming into the studio. And we did that at the Hawking College uh, studio when I was a student at, in the music program. Uh, shout out to Dwight Heckelman, uh, Neil Schmidt. Uh, they gave me the permission to come in and, and do that. Um, it wasn't a class project. Um, but they were, they, they said, sure, come on in. It sounded awesome. And so I got to say thanks to those guys for letting me use the Hawking studio to do that. And in fact, it wasn't even a project for the CD. Right. It was just at that you time. You were just doing it for, doing it. to do it, which was the coolest thing of all. And then when we came back, like, what was it? A year later. And Bruce Dalzell said, God, why don't we do that thing Hill did? And you were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait, you want Wait that a on that CD? You know? <laughs> yeah. And then I did another one too with uh with Jason Lit, right? You came in you did all of the production work for that, right? The recording work I for that. I recorded Jason mm -hmm. and and his yeah. partner, I can't remember her name. She's an artist though. Right. That was really good too. Mm -hmm. I think I did that on location. You did. You came out to Atco. That was so awesome. And I remember one of the the things that you I, I just remember you told me how much you were out of your comfort zone. Totally. When you were recording people with disabilities because the handshake isn't the same. Uh, how to get them in the studio, the whole maneuver, everything. And yeah. I don't know if they want to be babied, you know, if I'm like, hey, you know, or if it's just like a and they normal don't. part of their yeah. life. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But I feel like I have cool. to like, yeah, it was no, very, you Yeah, you did a great job. But I think, I think too, it, it went for showing, because I am one of those people, you know, I'll be the first to admit it, and it's crazy um, saying it coming from the family who's been so involved um, in the disabilities, and, and like you said, having my, my disabled aunt. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll be the one to admit it, you know, when I go to a large gathering like that, um, where there's a lot of dis disabled people there. Um, people with disabilities. Uh, Just yeah. Correcting the language there. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> okay. exactly. Uh, um <laughs> I get awkward. I, yeah. I feel out of very out of place. And... Which blows my mind because you used to be the ref for the Beacon basketball team. Right. Yeah, I just, I don't know why. But but getting to be one-on-one -on -one with, with David and, and Jason during Made that, all the difference. It, it makes a total difference where I would still be awkward at the beginning. I would mm -hmm. feel out of place. But by the end of it, you know, we were, we were buddies. Nice. We were, we were friends, totally. And see, that's what my students got to experience. So they got to, they got to understand that people with disabilities are not different than, you know, everybody's different. Right. And when you get to know somebody one-on-one, -on -one, just like what you're talking about. Absolutely. Like the clouds part, you know, you have a whole new view of the world and yourself in it. After yeah. An experience it's like really that. cool. I, and going to the performances too, when, when like the CD release parties for those, uh, the Get Up and Fly CD and the My Little Pancake Button CD. Oh my CD. gosh! Yeah. Going to those release shows are just awesome. Yeah, they're You're just I high mean, as a kite. You want to see pure joy yeah. in people and and true happiness. I mean, go to those kind of events. Those yeah. were the best teaching years that I had, and there were ten of them. I did it for ten years with Atco, and 
I mean to tell you, I got to know my students in a way you can never get to know them in a classroom, you know, in, in that real life situation. I got to tell you this too. I, do we have time? For we two have quick stories? so much okay. time. It's okay. all about us. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> so my very first semester quarter teaching this class, I had a guy in my, in my creative writing class who was wearing a wife beater t-shirt and he had like studs in his nose and a bunch of earrings in and he had tats and he was looking at me like I dare you know I dare you to teach me how to do anything in creative <laughs> writing well I told him we were going to be going to and this was always like the kicker for the creative writing class so you guys um we're going to be going over and and hanging out with people with disabilities and you're going to be working one-on-one -on -one with them to write stories and and so you can imagine me looking at this guy and telling him he's going to do that. And he said, can I do it? Can I do hip hop with him? Can I do rap? I said, you can do whatever you want. Sure. That would be fine. So we went over there the first day and he got partnered up with, um, oh my God, why can't I remember his name? I can't believe I can't remember this guy's name. He was one of my favorite guys. But anyway, he was partnered up with him and he was in uh he was in a wheelchair and he had uh very very difficult time speaking. He stuttered a lot. He drooled. Ron, Ron Queen. Ron. Beautiful beautiful man. So I come to find out my student is an atheist. Ron Queen was so Christian, such a believer. And uh, it was just sort of like pick a number sort of thing at first, the way we, we hooked these guys up. I just figured we'd leave it to divine intervention. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, these two guys got together. And after the first meeting, my student with the wife beater said, no way, I cannot do this. And I said, would you please just give it one more time, just one, that's it. And then if not, we'll do an independent study at school. I won't force you to do it. He said, okay. So the second time we went over there, the two of them got put in the blue room and the students got sent all over the building to find little private spaces where they could write. And he and Ron went into the blue room and uh, they were sitting at a big table and I there was a hallway that kind of led into there. And about 20 minutes into the class, I kind of peeked in to make sure they were okay. And I could see Ron trying to talk and he was apologizing 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 and he stuttered and he was drooling and my student the with the wife beater shirt on picked up this little stack of napkins and he wiped his mouth wiped not his mouth but Ron's mouth he wiped the drool off of his mouth and just said to him buddy you never have to apologize to anybody for anything and I promptly went in the bathroom and bawled my eyes out and I knew, okay, that's what this class does. Mm -hmm. And of course, that guy did stay in the class. And he and Ron went on to write some really cool stuff. Um, that student also made two discoveries that semester. One, that his father was going to die of cancer. Oh, wow. And two, that his father was bisexual. Wow. And uh, who did he talk to about it? His partner, Ron. Wow. And they maintained a relationship for many years, and maybe they still have one for all I know. Ron's not here anymore. That's really cool. So isn't that a beautiful story? Yeah. Um, I have so many of them. Another really beautiful story, one of one of uh, my students was, we went up to the Kennedy Museum, and it was Valentine's Day, and my student said to his partner, Fred, 
hey, are you going to the Valentine's Day dance at ATCO? And Fred said, oh, I can't. My girlfriend's sick. And my student said, oh, well, you know, that's like two weeks from now. She'll probably be fine by then. And the ATCO partner said, she has brain cancer. Well, I like wanted to throw up in my mouth. I was like devastated. And my student blew me away. He just looked at Fred and said, well, then let's write her a love poem. And that's what they did. So those were the kinds of experiences that I got to have like uh -huh. every week with my students. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Those are two beautiful stories and I think perfect thing to lead us into. Let's listen to some of these songs. Sounds good. So we're going to listen to a couple. Um, the first one we are going to hear, uh, both of these are on the album, Get Up and Fly. Uh, the first one we're going to hear is Serena's Dream. Um, the Serena, obviously the, 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 the writer, mm -hmm. um, and the Serena echo. winner. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Laura Nadal mm -hmm. is the artist and musician performing on that one. And then, uh, we are going to listen to, and God created man and woman. That's another track from that Get Up and Fly album. And uh, I believe that one's from Rattletrap. Are the mm. musicians on that? No, no Rattletrap did, uh, I think it was called I Would Pray for Food. Right, 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 right. That's a great one. We're going to listen to these two songs here. And uh, they're just as beautiful as those stories you just told. We're sitting here live, View from the Hill. You can listen to it at www.viewfromthehill.com. I'm with my mother, Audrey Nafziger Hackworth. <laughs> I never know how to Denny. say all of your names. <laughs> Denny, Denise, Audrey. It's a story of my life. We're sitting here with mom. <laughs> View from the Hill. We'll be right back. This is Serena's Dream and, and God Created Man and Woman from the Get Up and Fly album. See you soon. It snowed forever I was stuck here in my home Worked on my book Slept in a lot Called David on the phone and Played with my three cats Moopit, Duke and Charlie girl Moopit, Duke and Charlie girl Moopit, Duke and Charlie girl Just the other day I ran over Charlie girl With my wheelchair She went meow I wish all my pain away 
That was nice.
And we are back live. You're listening to View from the Hill at www.viewfromthehill.com. And I'm here with my mom. And this is the Mother's Day special. Thanks for being here today, Mom. My pleasure. It has been fun. It has been. I, I don't think we've sat down for two hours and had a conversation in, since you were like 10. Well, that's awesome to say, but also a little sad. <laughs> <laughs> two hours, that's a long time. I think... You know, I think you might be wrong there. We may have really? had two-hour conversations when I was, like, in trouble. Like, when I was, like, six, like in big trouble. Like, my 16 to no. 17 If you years. recall, that would have been Mark. I had you right. That's you right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So, I want to give you um, some absolute love, too, because you are a tremendous writer. Um, I give all the credit to you of why I am... The writer I am today, not to say that I am any kind of writer, but any skill that I do have uh, definitely, definitely came from you. Um, it was a lot easier writing all those uh, high school English reports, definitely. That you never even let me edit. Well, that was the thing. I it mean, was mine. Yeah, see, you were good to begin with, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I want to know, too, and you recently had a book published of your poetry, correct? I did, yep, yep. What is the name of that? Can you tell us a little bit about that? The name of the book is called Desire to Stay. Um, it's just a collection of, of really pretty recent poems. I have a couple of older ones in there. I've published a number of chapbooks. I, uh, chapbooks being feature-length collections within a literary magazine. And then uh, I also did a book with Jane Ann Fuller. She and I kind of did the writing of it. Patty Mitchell and Mark Hackworth did the visuals. And we were commissioned to do this book uh, by an artist named Jean Reinbolt outside of Dayton. Uh, so that was another book that what I did. What was that book called? That was called Revenants, A Story of Many Lives. And that is... I think it's kind of a fancy table book, or what do you call it? coffee table book, really. Uh -huh. But it, it it tells the history of the people of the Canal District in the 1800s. Okay. Done through poetry, fiction, and photography. Right. So. Yeah. Um, you know, it's we've been sitting here talking, and that's one of the things we didn't really get to hit on too much is that that awesome book because it's got a, a lot of really great uh, photography work in it, mm -hmm. and, and the, the visual artwork in that is. Is really amazing, and then accompanied by you guys' uh, uh, words. Um, it may be a famous, or a famous, it may be a fancy coffee table book, but I, I think it's a really good one, especially to look through. And Thanks. It is a beautiful book, I have to say. And we there were, there were a thousand of those printed, and I, I think most of them are gone. They're all over the world. Mm -hmm. it, it did get um, a Project Grants Award by the Ohio Arts Council, and it, it did well. For what it was yeah it's, it's it was really uh i you know i don't know i as as good as i am with my writing i, I like to say like it i say it was pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool I, I feel like i'm good with my writing but sometimes not as good with my words because that's the only thing i want to say right away is like well, it was really cool that's good because that you got that from me too yeah definitely <laughs> Well, we're going to we're going to end it off, you know, happy Mother's Day, mom. I know Thank it's a few you. days early, but happy Mother's Day. We're going to be hanging out this Saturday with Ella uh celebrating her graduation, right? Yep, that is correct. Graduating from Ohio State, 
Congratulations, Ella. Congratulations, Al. I love you. She's done just partying all this week now. Well, <laughs> we will continue that trend on Saturday, and we'll continue to party. Sounds good. We're going to take it away now. Did you bring something with us? You know, usually I have um, the musicians that come on. They play a little um, at the end. Uh, did you bring anything to read? I did, and in fact, I almost sort of put a damper on the end of your show. I actually thought about playing the ukulele and singing. <laughs> and then I thought, wait a minute, I'm a poet. That's what I should be doing. Because I do I do play the uke. I'm not very good, but I, I play it to just sing to myself. But I did. I brought uh, the book Desire to Stay. And I'll read a few poems. And I think I'll start with a poem called The Death of Superman. For anybody who knows Hill here, you may have known as, as a child, he was completely obsessed is not even the right word it doesn't even do it justice he was superman you were superman <laughs> period he wore real clothes under the costume everything this is the death of superman um on october 8th 2004 christopher, christopher reeves passed away and uh he left hillary left me uh, a voicemail and i was at the doctor's Actually, I was at the hospital on that day. Um, they thought I might have cancer. So that this is, uh, this is a poem kind of about that <clears throat> and about how much we don't know about the universe that we live in, the universe of our bodies, whatever. The message said, Superman is dead. It was your voice calling October 8th, 2004 to say, what will we do now? Which I was also wondering, because the littlest camera I had ever seen was making its way inside me, following a path you once took, your initial path toward discovering a new planet, a new way of reckoning, as your oversized head jutted from darkness into arms that could hardly believe their luck. Once you were gone from inside me, I imagined Krypton after the blast, the empty places left floating around the universe, no life to speak of, but objects that only the living could remember and assign meaning to. I thought of Lara and Jor-El, who sent their only son rocketing off toward a place they had never been, a theoretical possibility. Science demands faith, delivers us from nature, our bodies turn against us every day. And so it came to be that I was lying in a dimly lit hospital room as the littlest camera searched for signs of alien life and found them. So, that's you know, beautiful. That's when, a good one. When that's you, killer. When you leave a voicemail, like you never know what's going on in that person's <laughs> life, right? Yeah. I remember getting a phone call from somebody once. And it's, it's changed the way I answered my phone for the rest of my life. I answered, hello, all happy. And a woman I knew said, hey, Danny, how are you? I said, I'm great. My God, we're playing Mickey Mouse Yahtzee. We're having such a wonderful time. Oh, my God, I wish you were here, blah, blah, blah. How are you doing? And she said, my husband killed himself. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I've never answered the phone all happy like that ever since. Do you have another one for us? I do have another one. Um, I guess since we're going kind of gloomy anyway, 
with that little story about the husband that committed suicide. Um, I'm going to read a poem called Traveling, and this is actually about Greg Anderson, and Greg wrote all of the words for the um, Algae Krebs CD. He died of cancer a while back, and this is a poem called Traveling uh, because we kind of used to refer to his trips to Cleveland Clinic as, you know, trips. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I was the driver at that time. Deb and Greg were not comfortable driving, I think, because their mind was on all that sad stuff. So I did all the driving. And uh, we'd often stay at a, a nice hotel and um, order out and go to Little Italy and look at art and go listen to music and just do fun stuff. Not right. like we were doing cancer stuff. Right. Okay. So that's why I called the poem Traveling. You will be gone for what we keep saying is just a few weeks. A lie of omission, perhaps. You are going much further than Cleveland, that brief distance north on Route 71, a mere three hours and 40 minutes. We have visited the clinic a half a dozen times, preparing for your eventual departure. For the emissary, six little vacations, a room with a view, while you meet with doctors, discuss chemotherapy options, radiation, potential side effects, recovery. You return to the hotel with exotic meals from the city. I never imagined cancer like a walk down Mayfield Avenue, a sunny afternoon, little Italy just a few blocks away, old brick buildings, a museum filled with photos of children lined up against the wall of Christ the King, girls in white lace dresses, little brides waiting for the Eucharist, boys with hands in their pockets, black trousers and crisp white shirts. And in the background, Dean Martin singing, the moon in the sky is a big pizza pie. All right. I think that one is, uh, I don't know, that, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's a really deep one <laughs> just because of having experienced. Having gone through it. All of that. And I think when a person gets cancer, you know, for those who want to live, uh, which he did, you know, there are people who say, okay, I have cancer, but my number's up. Right. I'm going. He wasn't that person. So we never said he was ever, we never even said that word. Interesting. Yeah. He was, he was going. They were packing up because they were just going north. Right. You know. Yeah. All right. And I will do one more. Great. And this is a little poem called Changeable. And this is about Papa Nap, about my dad. <laughs> And uh, the, napper. the napper, when he was a little kid, well, you knew this about him. He loved animals. And when he was a little kid, he would play out in the catalpa grove, in the catalpa trees. And he had a little gun. And one time he shot a bird down and he was devastated by it. And he nursed the bird back to health. And that bird became his friend and he rode him on his shoulder and he took him to school. And that's kind of a poem about this. Great. Um, I think one of the 
words in here I should mention is the word Aralac, and that was a material that was used especially during the war. Um, but when it got wet, it smelled like sour milk. So obviously they didn't continue using that right. for clothes. <laughs> okay, and I think that's about it. All right, so this is called Changeable. The bird's name was Changeable. Oh, okay. Which fits in perfect to the theme of the poem, great. and you'll see why. What a great name for a bird. Changeable. <laughs> long after the crow had died, long after the bird called your name and flew from the sill in your room through the wide second-floor hallway, down the double-walled staircase past your mother slicing pork at the kitchen window, Long after the bird sat on your shoulder in the schoolroom, preened your hair, had forgotten the nest he fell from, the twenty-two rifle you playfully aimed into the catalpa grove, the seed pods you smoked like a child gangster. Long after you lifted his small body from the ground, caught his eye, tucked him beneath the aralac sweater that smelled like sour milk in the rain, after the regret, after the healing, you became an old man. And somewhere along the way, you remembered what mattered. That's beautiful. Babble nap. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much for having me on uh, the it, show. It has been awesome. It's been a great episode. You are the first female guest also on the episode. I've been, oh. getting, I've been getting some shit for being a little dude heavy. <laughs> So you're the you're the first female I've had on. I got to tell you, I was nervous enough breaking coming on the show, everywhere. but now I'm breaking. Yeah, I'd have been really nervous if I'd have known that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been great, uh, beautiful writing. Really enjoyed that. You are, uh, you know, I I might be a little biased. You're the most talented woman. Uh, your your writing is absolutely amazing, um, and everything you do is amazing. Yeah. Happy Happy Mother's Day, Mom. <laughs> Thank you. What a gift. <laughs> We're going to take it away now. We're going to listen to some others, uh, to a couple other songs. We're going to listen to one song off the Get Up and Fly album, that Atco collaborative um, album that came out. We're going to listen to a song by Catfish. It's called Times Change. And then uh, we're also going to listen to another song on the Algae Krebs Quartet, Parrots on Fire. It's one that I love and a good one to kind of say goodbye. It's called The Last Train of the Evening. So we're going to take it away with that. You've been sitting down with me and my mom. We've had fun. This has been View from the Hill. You can listen live or listen to the replays at www.viewfromthehill.com. Athens, we love you. Until next time. Old man, old man, where have gone your olden days jewels? And dad don't drink, kids don't hang out. It's hard to say why they give 
Toss it.